Hello, thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Jonathan Scott. Lots of politics at the moment with the build-up to the election, but we have a beautiful story about a film produced by 13-year-old Ariana Giannani, which was brought to life by a team at GBC. Amy the Soysa was here to tell us a little bit about that, together with Ariana and actor Elsie Griffith. Okay, on to the politics then. Samantha Sacramento is going to take a break from the front line, having served as a government minister for 12 years. I asked her what her biggest regret was, what the most challenging period in those 12 years was, and I enjoyed talking to her. She looked more relaxed than she has been in recent years as a government minister carrying a significant burden of responsibility as she did. But before we spoke to Miss Sacramento, we heard from Kevin Ruiz, who had been at the GSLP headquarters this morning, where Fabian Picardo had introduced the now-confirmed election candidates Gemma Vasquez, Christian Santos, Pat Orfila and Nigel Feetham. Their nominations were ratified at an extraordinary general meeting last night by the GSLP party membership. We heard from Kevin and also from those individuals. But first, the GSD has presented its six new candidates at a press conference attended by my colleague, Roz Astengo. Yeah, it was uh, it was good to be at a GSD press conference because you know the the starting pistol was fired on the election over a week ago, and everyone's been saying where are the GSD presses? Where are the GSD presses? And I must say, Keith, as a party party leader, was very keen to set his own pace. He's not going to allow his pace to be dictated by. Uh, the GSLP or Fabian Picardo. So um, it was good to to see, to be at a press conference today. There isn't going to be another one for a few days, uh, I can tell you that. Now, uh, the press conference was to introduce us to the new candidates, so I'll, I'll introduce them to you in a moment. But I just wanted to sort of go through a few things that the party leader talked about at the beginning of the press conference, and he said it was the most competitive uh, process that he's ever had as a, as an MP that he's ever uh, come across and he said that this was reflected reflective of the momentum for change that there is out in the community he says he takes nothing for granted but he says um they have a diverse and representative uh, membership noun uh, slate uh, which represents all of the uh, community and there was there was one key issue that many of them reiterated. Uh, Keith Azapardi in particular said that they would explode the GSLP, what he called lies, outrageous lies, saying that he was soft on sovereign, sovereignty. So he's he's very fired up about that. And and listening to the other candidates speak, they talked about integrity, truth. Um, you know, transparency. Uh, that, that you know, they all feel very connected to those uh, new principles let's let's say um and Keith Azabadi certainly seemed very very pleased with his new slate he was challenged both by uh, Brian Reyes at the Chronicle and myself about the uh, 
inexperienced because none of them have um, particularly the, the new the new team don't have any parliamentary experience at all. But he dismissed that and said he didn't think that that would be an issue. Um, so just to introduce their names: Joel Ladislaus, Giovanni Origo, Yusuf El Hanna, Daniela Tilbury, Craig Saccarello, and Atris Sanchez. So you've got two lawyers, two educators, a businessman, and uh, Atris, who is the um, she, she's the director or coordinator of the Special Needs Action Group. So she, yeah, she's um, a campaigner, I suppose campaigner, we might yes. say. No? OK, let's hear from them. It's not just about the few at the top, it's about absolutely everybody um, and moving forward for a better Gibraltar. I said it before, I'll say it again. Um, it's about integrity, transparency and um, sincerity. Um, and those are the pillars um, on which I stand at this election. And I think I can hope to bring about a new energy to revive the cultural um, sphere in Gibraltar. It's a bit surreal um, being the first Gibraltarian of Moroccan heritage to ever present themselves um, to an election, full stop. Democracy should rule. We represent everyone, including those who don't vote for us. And, and, and it should be across the society representing everyone. There are a lot of key uh, social policy areas that require substantial improvement and that Gibraltar needs change. We deserve better in Gibraltar and there's so many things that need fixing from our education system, our hospitals, our healthcare, you know, our social systems. There are so many things that need fixing and I think that this is the party that can do that. It can actually manage the changes that are needed. Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. We're talking uh, politics. We're going to stay with that because Kevin Rees has been uh, at uh, at uh, the GSLP headquarters uh, this morning, where they've presented the uh, now their official candidates. That's right, Jonathan. Good afternoon. Went down to GSLP headquarters. A lot of excitement. A lot of people nervous as well because um, four faces were introduced to us. We had uh, Nigel Fetum, Pat Orfila, Gemma Vasquez, and uh, Christian Santos. Of course. The four faces, very familiar to most of us in Gibraltar. They're new to the political scene, but uh, then by no means new people. And this morning, Fabian Picardo, the leader of the GSLP party, did advance the fact that he'd already been tinkering and thinking about those portfolios. He said it's not 100%. We couldn't, he couldn't commit to them, but he gave us an idea of what each and every one of them, of those new candidates, could be taking up as a portfolio. My passion is young people. So any of the portfolios that deal with young people, I'll be uh, very excited to work on. I have an idea for a youth strategy where we can work in a holistic way to make um, every different department work together to create a programme to um, give opportunities to all young people. I've been dealing with a lot of housing issues. I've been holding clinics and uh, for our members, and the great majority of problems has come via the, the housing avenue, although there are areas that still need, obviously, looking in. Um, I think the GSLP governments or successive GSLP governments have invested a lot in the GHA. There are more doctors than ever, there's more investment than ever, but we really need to bring that investment to the users so that it feels like there's more investment. Financial services is the area of expertise. I've been practicing as a finance centre practitioner for the last 30 years. It is obviously up to the Chief Minister if he wants to give me additional portfolios. He did mention here today that he was most likely to also give me gaming. Well, there, there we go. Yep, uh, some surprises. Um, Christian Santos, equality and youth. He said he would uh, welcome any uh, work related to working with young people. Um, I think we're expecting culture. 
Um, there might be a bit of a fight there for culture. Of course, we know John Cortes is very interested in continuing his work with yeah. culture. Importantly, Christian did say he wanted to, whatever he was doing, he did want to present a holistic approach uh, for anything related to youth and run that across every single department, portfolio, responsibility under the government. Gemma Vasquez, health. We've heard her personal story. Um, she's expressed her interest. She believes experience is very important. Um, and she says she's got the right ideas, um, not just for the local health service, but also um, those partners that the GHA have beyond our frontiers. Patorfila, many would be expecting education to be the natural ministry for Patorfila, of course. Or, or housing? Or... Long time. But housing, Pat Orfila has been working um, for the party conducting those um, housing clinics for many, many years as well. She says she's very excited. She knows housing has always been the ministry, the portfolio, which uh, can cause a lot of headaches, of course, uh, for, the, for, for, for ministers. It's one of those... For all governments, yeah. For big, it's one of the big historical issues. It still is. Um, the extra burden now with Brexit, everybody wanting to move back into Gibraltar as well. And no surprises, Nigel Feetham, financial services, perhaps the new line there being he could take up gaming as well. But I think many of us do view that as a natural extension of the financial services industry. True. One more. Importantly, I can advance that possibly the Liberal Party will be confirming the slate a little before four o'clock today. On Radio Gibraltar and on GBC Television, Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. Talking politics, but um, but talking to somebody who is not going to contest the election. Samantha Sacramento, good afternoon to you. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that decision uh, n- not to be a candidate? It's a decision that I took a while back because um, literally since we we took office in December 2011, the pace of the work has been absolutely relentless. But the level of work in the in this term in particular has been such that obviously because of covid and we find ourselves in a brexit parliament that there's been you know the work has been so intense that um i need to i need to move on at this stage i mean i think back to the covid-19 pandemic and uh, and the civil contingencies committee uh, and the the new laws that were constantly required to be able to take measures that were obviously legal and uh, the word that springs to mind really is brutal the whole thing must have been uh, a brutal existence for you it was absolutely brutal since we set up the civil contingency structure at the end of january in 2019 um actually in the first meeting i don't think that anybody in that room thought that what was then to happen could be possible so it's not like we were that serious at the beginning but um, I remember we had the first meetings, then I was at a CPA conference in the Falklands and as soon as I stepped off the plane on the 4th of March 2019, things began to ramp up in, in a question of hours. I remember that was the week when we celebrate International Women's Day. My event um, was on the 5th of March and there were events every day that week and by the end of the week the last event was cancelled and that was it. On that Friday, um, we had the meeting of the cabinet and I went to the civil contingencies um, coordinating room, the one that we the, we call the bunker at number six. So I went there 
on the 6th or the 7th of March and I never left until August. So I never stepped foot in my office at Governor's Parade for so many months. And when we were in the bunker, there was no question of any of us being at the front line in that way because there were so many people in Gibraltar who were working in, in the front line, people in the hospital, the police, cleaners, people in supermarkets. But we were there throughout and I was very lucky during COVID to have an excellent team of very strong and dedicated people to, to support us and to get us through what we did. And would you then say that that period was the toughest of your 12 years as a government minister? By far. By far because of the relentless intensity of the work. The public health advice globally was changing at the beginning. It was changing sometimes even on an hourly basis. We'd have a civil contingency meeting in the morning and by the time that we met in the afternoon, the advice was already different. So we had to put different procedures in place. Obviously, all the decisions that we took, were we were guided by the director of, of public health. Obviously, there was a lot of scrutiny. I felt... During that time, I felt that I've never put my cross-examination skills to better use than when I was testing the Director of Public Health because we had to be absolutely satisfied of the decisions that we were taking and we had to understand them. And guidance was changing, but the decisions that we were taking were so serious and were so big that we had to be sure of what we were doing. And then the pace at which we were working, because we were getting information from every single sector and we had to absorb things very quickly process them and we had to have the necessary output and that turnaround had to happen very very quickly so for for weeks and for months i would go to work at the office at the at the banker i'd go in the morning probably wouldn't leave till about 10 o'clock 11 o'clock or midnight and then i'd have to go home carry on working to deal with all the action points of the day so that would mean that i would probably work till three in the morning because ha having started at what time well, I would have I would have been there by nine nine thirty, so Long at the office. Day. But it would I would probably have been working from home for an hour or two even before I went to the you office. You wake up, you catch up on messages, you reply to an email, you have breakfast. Yeah. Um, so it was it was literally relentless, relentless, and there was no question of not dealing with the pending action points of the day because you couldn't leave it till the following day no, because just, everything was going to change yeah. the day after. And, and, then, and the 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 the, uh, the stakes were so high. No, you're talking about trying to protect lives. We would, and we were talking about legislation because obviously there was. I was very concerned because I was during that time I was the minister for civil contingency, so I had to chair the civil contingency meetings. I was also the minister for I still am the minister for justice. So we were looking at the legislation that we had to put in place and the whole scrutiny of the legislation because the legislative framework in Gibraltar was different to that in the UK we we had our own ways of doing things we did things by secondary legislation I was very conscious that we were using a piece of primary legislation and that parliament wasn't meeting so every time that we issued a regulation I would check it with the leader of the opposition because obviously you know I was you didn't so... want it to be controversial well and I was very conscious of the whole system of parliamentary democracy and and parliament was not meeting so that was my way of getting it um there, there was this this uh, method of consultation with the opposition I wanted them to know what I was doing they had the opportunity um to feed back and and to feed in to what I was doing and in the end I think we 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 must have produced almost 300 uh, regulations 
and it, during COVID. So there's that element of work that, that we had to produce as well. Yeah. And then, as you know, halfway through the pandemic, I was made the Minister for Health as well. As so, if you needed it, yeah. <laughs> but being responsible for the hospital and for the care agency as well during this critical time was also, you know... Kind uh, of made sense, I suppose, from... It, it made sense in terms of coordination. Because it meant that reporting lines made me ultimately responsible for all these uh, different related departments. Um, but it's also very difficult to have the responsibility for an organisation that's so frontline and was suffering so much because of COVID. So it meant that as soon as we were able to slow down the pressures from the pandemic, there were new pressures arising because we had to get the hospital back on track and that's why we came up with the whole Reset, Restart, Recover programme for the GHA. And looking back on it as you do now, um, if you had to do it all again, and I know that probably is an awful thought, um, would you do anything different? Um, I would do it all over again. So there's no question of any regrets because um, the work that I've done for the last three terms for the last 12 years I've seen as an absolute privilege so I've enjoyed every moment I've enjoyed the good and I've enjoyed the bad because the good comes with the bad and you learn from the bad and sometimes the more difficult the situation you're in the steeper the learning curve and the better that you are at the end of it because if I look at myself now I consider myself to be a much better minister after Covid than I was before because I have been tested to the extreme and and in in that way you know it's it, it's 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 difficult to describe but when you have a responsibility that's so broad and really you have this responsibility on your shoulders where you're looking at the safety of Gibraltar and you're working with a very very core team who everybody you know wants to deliver the same thing so during this time we were working extremely closely, I was very, very closely with the Chief Minister, with the Deputy Chief Minister. They were also extremely busy with Brexit. So it's like, in if you look at it, the pressure that we were under at the same time meant that we had no choice but to literally work around the clock because we had to deliver because Gibraltar came first. And if I can ask you, you're mentioning sort of uh, the team that you that you were working with. I think it's fair to say that you're a strong character. Um, uh, uh, how would you characterise your relationship with the civil servants and, and the many people who you had to liaise with uh, under a high-pressure situation? I think that I've never been calmer in my life because... Every single step that we took and every single decision that we took was so important that they had to be thought through and everybody had to be level-headed. And I think that the reason that I was so incredibly calm throughout COVID is because Gibraltar has an excellent civil contingencies coordinator. Now, Ivo Lopez is a person who is so extremely organised and so effective and so efficient that he gave me a sense of comfort. Had I not had that sense of comfort, then I may have been more worried, but I knew that I could rely on him as the coordinator leading on every on everything else, and that gave me that, that assurance. And I always comment it because everybody knows that I have a very strong personality, but I felt 
this sense of absolute calm during COVID? Let me ask you, um, thinking back to your 12 years as a government minister, what would you say is the thing that you are proudest of? You know, I was I was trying to think back and look at, to see which would be maybe the most notable thing, whether it's my favourite because of a personal interest or because of the importance. And it's actually so difficult because of the way that we've worked and the pace at which we've worked. And we have done so much. There are so many things that we've achieved that even I forget. I literally had to sit down and look at a list and look at an Excel database of achievements to remind me of, of the things we've done. I'm I'm very proud of being Gibraltar's first minister for equality. I think that through the work that we've done, the first and only minister, um, because I've I've held that portfolio throughout, and I think that we've literally changed the landscape in Gibraltar, changed attitudes. If you look at where we came from before December 2011 and how taboo. Uh, some issues were, particularly the people from the LGBTQ plus community and how literally liberated people are now. I look at that and I look at the real the real change that that's made to, to people's lives. It's about people being able to enter into civil partnerships, being able to marry, being able to have children through surrogacy, but ultimately being able to have themselves respected and recognised and therefore their their love and their partnership uh, being being recognised as well. It's about accepting that people who previously were not accepted as members of our community are, of course, members of our community. Two last questions, if I may. Um, Samantha Sacramento, your biggest regret from your time in government? Things maybe that you weren't able to get over the line, for example. Well, there have been things that I haven't been able to finish. And that's more of a frustration than a regret, because at the end of the day, we've been cheated. Because we had a four-year term to deliver this manifesto, COVID came along and got in the way, which has really meant that we've had a year to deliver and I have tried in this last year to pack four years worth of work in one and there are some things Impossible. It is. It's literally impossible. But you know, you know me, and That's I still what you tried, yeah. and I still and I still tried. So it wasn't I, for, for lack of trying. It wasn't for lack of trying, and and this job is is you have to sacrifice a lot to be able to do to do this properly, and that means extremely long hours to be able to be effective in the delivery of what you do. And ultimately, we are here to serve the people. And I've been. I've been very lucky in that the majority of the portfolios that I've held in the last 12 years have been very um, social portfolios. So I've been responsible for social services, which I which I absolutely love. I've been responsible for housing. And it runs through the core of, of what I believe. And finally, Miss Sacramento, um, it seems that uh, whatever the result of the next general election, um, we may be having more women in Parliament because there are uh, now two candidates, um, Gemma Arias and Pat Orfila uh, in the GSLP. Uh, we don't know about the Liberals yet, but we haven't heard any new names. Uh, so two at least on the Alliance side and, and three on the GSD side. No, I think it's fantastic that we have greater diversity 
in the lineups. It's great to see more women. Our parliament as a decision-making body needs to be more diverse. It needs to be more reflective of the community that we serve. You know that I've done a lot of work when it comes to women, when it comes to gender equality, but particularly in terms of representation of women in parliament. And I am so, so happy to see that there are more women in, in the lineup this time around. Okay, and I said the last question, but in, in one sentence, what's next for Samantha Sacramento? Immediately a sabbatical, because I want to take uh, time out. It'll be the first opportunity that I'll have to take time out since I started working um, professionally. So, you know, I didn't have a break from my other job to when I became a minister. And I've always worked very hard. So I want to take this opportunity now between, take you know, take a real break where I don't have to... Um, have anything on my mind other than than taking a break, re- relaxing, recalibrating. Yeah, so important. That, yeah. Well, enjoy your break, Miss Sacramento. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. We're joined now uh, by the creators of Love Grace, um, which is a, a short film produced, uh, was thought up by a 13-year-old creative who had a debut, a premiere last night at the Leisure Cinemas. Good afternoon to Ariana Giannani and also to Elsie Griffith, who is part of the team. You acted in that short film. And to Amy the Soisa, who worked on the project on behalf of GBC. And, and I have to say congratulations, guys. I haven't watched the film, but the trailer looks amazing. And the premiere last night on GBC News also looked amazing. It was awesome. <laughs> it was so much fun. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> it was so amazing. Just lots of big smiles. Everything looks so slick. Like, it, you know, like I had to double take. I thought, was this like... Yeah, it, it's the first or... time GBC has all done something fictional. We're normally used to doing like sort of documentary style. And it was just amazing to be working with young creatives, which are obviously clearly very talented. Yeah, the future <laughs> is bright. Um, but, but, but you're only 13, Ariana. How, how have you only already got your own half an hour film? I'm very jealous. <laughs> well, you know, uh, it was always a dream of mine. It's so crazy that it's come true now. And I'm so thankful to everyone at GBC for making it come true. Talk to us a little bit about the process. Uh, you saw the advert for a short film competition and you thought, this is my chance now to, sub- to submit something? Right. So um, a few of my friends actually showed it to me and they were like, you have to write for it. Um And then it was kind of, you know, it was always at the back of my mind until the idea kind of clicked in my head. And then I just wrote. I wrote for like maybe two days straight and submitted it an hour before the deadline. And I thought, I have a good feeling about this. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. And it's about friendships. It's about friendships, yeah, with a twist. twist. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, the twist can't be revealed. No spoilers. (laughs) No spoilers. Um, And... and, uh, and what talk to us a little bit, Amy, from from GBC's perspective. What, what's the project all about? Um, so it was on the back of the Break a Leg series that Louis Rui has that produces every year, and he was inspired by so many creatives in the drama festival. And he thought, "There's so much potential here. We need to create a short film competition, and the prizes will film and produce uh, their scripts." So obviously, Ariana and various other students got involved, and we all got together in production, and unanimously agreed that Ariana's was by far the best. It stood out from uh, from all of them. Very mature scripts. Um, and whenever we were filming, we were maybe um, wondered how to execute a scene. We'd always go back to her script and everything was there. She was very um, 
clear with what she wanted with the short film, which was very, very so, easy to work with. So, um, what do you mean by that? You, you sort of as you, in, a in this very full, rich description of of what was of happening scenes, at any time. Yes, so certain scenes she'd edit um, how she wanted it to look, um, the pace, and that made it easier for us as filmmakers to sort of create her vision and she said that when she watched it back it was as if we had got it from her mind no mm-hmm. oh, wow. <laughs> for sure <laughs> that's uh that's a praise indeed yeah but how, how uh, let me go back to this idea and i'm sorry if it i hope i don't come across as ageist but i remember when i was 13 or i think back to when i was 13 and i don't know if i'd have had the you know the skills to to put together a, a script which included so much direction where did it come from? What, what, I mean, had, have you had any experience? Did, did you sort of go online and look and see what other scripts looked like? Well, to be honest, I think it was just practice, trial and error, you know. I kind of did what I felt was right. I've written in the past a little bit, but there's been a lot of things I don't like, a lot of things are scrapped. But, like, my vision, I can't explain it, but my vision was so clear with this. I just wrote exactly what I felt needed to be written, and it seemed to work well yeah, she had a dream and she literally yeah I had a dream <laughs> said in the q a <laughs> that's so cool also ariana's an actress so she's used to um you know her performing and how would it compare to being on tv compared to like on the on the theater stage so i think for me it was a lot less pressure because you know no learning lines you know you don't have to mess up like you can retake and it was just a lot of pressure relieved off my shoulders. I felt like I could focus on my acting rather than my learning, like remembering lines, my performance on the spot. And I definitely think it's another medium that I have really grown to love. Excellent. So so the comparison, the building blocks are there from your theatre background, but this is sort of something a bit different, but which has translated, you said, very well onto, onto Definitely, film. Definitely, yeah. Um, and, and speaking about sort of the actor's perspective, uh, let's, bring it, let's bring in Elsie now. Uh, <laughs> what was it like from, from your perspective? When, when did you first hear about the script and, and what did you think about it? Um, well, I was um, called in to audition. I didn't know anything about the script, anything. But... Um, you know, I just went through GBC. I thought it was a really cool building. And um, I was given the script and I had a quick, like, a brief, like, read through of, like, the first couple of pages. And I was like, how did Ariana write this? It's really good. And, um, yeah. <laughs> she, was very, she was very good at the audition. She, you know, she had something in her eye, the, the vulnerability that the character needed. And it was, you know, the second we saw her, she's like, she is so, she's t- perfect t- for the role. Tell us about your character then, Elsa. Um, my character, her name is Maya. She's very sort of like responsible and kind of like a bit more like laid back whilst on the other hand, Grace is a bit more rebellious and is like, you come on, you can do this with me, you know? Mm. And, um, yeah. She needed a character that was going to be sort of maybe influenced by Ariana, but not necessarily negative, no, you know? <laughs> so Elsie's a bit younger, so she portrayed the character really well. So Ariana's 13 still? Uh, and Elsie is. I'm, I'm I'm 13 in October, but I'm taller than I'm taller the moment. Okay. <laughs> so so a mature 12, soon to be 13. Um, awesome. And and then what was the the actual filming like? So you you, you did an, an impressive audition, and and Amy and the team liked you. And and then what was the filming like? Um, the filming, as Ariana said, was a lot like less pressure. Um, because you didn't have to like learn like the lines. You could just like 
kind of read through it like 10 minutes before you're about to be filmed but um it was just a lot less like pressure and i was like kind of i got used to it after like a while there was a lot of hours waiting around especially yeah. it was a four days and we sort of jam-packed all the scenes into four days we broke it down so the first day was in the quarry second day or is in camper then the others were in your house so it was a lot of a lot of hours stretched into one day because we wanted to jump pack it all into one week so it was yeah. better there I, 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 remem- I remember the week because there was a buzz in the in the GBC building uh, and uh, and there are also sort of problem shooting conversations like we need a mum we need a dad yes, <laughs> yes. Could we, could we auditioned Robin and it was like no in the end we ended up scrapping the dad all together yeah. and we sort of like tweaked it and you know there's an underlying um, sort of story no within that Message, that we tweaked yeah. mm-hmm that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so even as you were filming, the, the the project was evolving, and you were sort of adapting it. Yeah, we were bouncing off each other, and um, the long hours we sort of built a really good um, relationship. All of us, we all felt really comfortable with each other. Definitely. And it was good for them as well. Sort of, they had a really good chemistry, and I think it shows um, in the film. So um, describe the film to us for somebody who hasn't seen uh, the short trailer. I think I can uh, I can give a little bit of uh, of a feel here for a moment. Okay, so hi. hi. How are you? Good, thank you. Yeah, How are you? I'm good. Yeah. Hi, Amanda. Cheryl. Yeah. Um, I'm actually calling about Grace. What's going on? Grace, what are you doing here? Open the door, please. Leave me alone. Some of this seems. Illegal. No way! You got a head start! You have to accept the truth. It's a little bit dark. <laughs> a little bit spooky there at the end. <laughs> Am I right or...? Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so um, I mean, that, that sets the mood. Um, but how would you describe it? So, obviously, you have your protagonist who's... Grace, she's obviously a bit more bubbly, a bit more out there. She's quite an extrovert. And then you have um, her best friend, who's her counterpart, Maya, who's more sensible, you know, more reserved. And they just work with each other really well. Two extremes, and um, they need each other. And obviously, I don't want to give anything away, but there's a twist that changes their dynamic a bit. Now, the actual sort of filming, there are some sort of interesting anecdotes. Uh, the fact that you sort of closed down Camp Bay during the summer, uh, may I add, during the summer. So um, you know, It was in the morning, to be fair. It was in the morning? Yeah. Okay, yeah. fair enough. More power to you. But um, I think that the uh, the drone shots that you delivered um, and, and, and just the visuals were, were definitely worth the effort there. Mm. It, it, looks, it looks amazing. It definitely adds a cinema quality to it. Yeah. Um, and um, and then the other thing I was going to ask you about, Kelly's prompted me to ask you um, about spending 12 hours in your home. Uh, <laughs> yeah. how, how was that? Did it create a little bit of sort of family pressure? You know, like, get my, out already. <laughs> <laughs> my parents were chill, you know. They were happy to have everyone over. It was for a good reason. We went through a lot of pizza. Yeah, and snacks. <laughs> Kept having to buy pizza. But it was it was a comfortable environment because it was with people I was comfortable with in a place that I obviously feel comfortable in. So that was by far my favourite day of filming. 
How cool! Yeah, yeah, to bring the whole sort of production into your into your home. That's a that's a memory that's going to stay with you, I'm sure. Elsie was very patient as well. <laughs> she was there the whole day, and her lines were not to the very end, but <laughs> yeah. she was there, you know, being a good support, uh, having the snacks. You yeah, know, everyone's <laughs> in good spirits, keeping the morale high. When you spend that much time together, I guess it, uh, teamwork makes the dream work. Yeah, no? for you sure, have to yeah. you have to stick together. <laughs> um, right. So uh, let me ask Ariana then. Really, having had this experience under your belt, um, you know, with the GBC uh, premiere this evening at eight o'clock. What next for you? So obviously, I want to take it as far as I can. This is my best work that I've ever produced. So I want to just spread it as much as I can. Go to the film festivals. Try and get as much, um, you know, interest, like, interest, and, and um, just show the world what I can do. Yeah, amazing. Exactly. So cool. And for GBC, Amy, more more coming your way? Uh, we're going to help her along to try and find them, uh, some festivals that we can submit the, the short film to. And this hopefully will be a yearly a yearly occurrence. So Brilliant. That's that's really exciting. Um, and, and finally, Elsie, we can expect to see more of you on stage and maybe on camera as well? I mean, I certainly hope so, because acting is like one of the things I really enjoy. And like, hopefully I'm good at, but, you know, I really enjoy it and I would really like to be involved in more opportunities in the future. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand.